Hello, dear listeners. This is Detlef Schlisch, and you listen to Artitude. Today, we dive into the unknown and exciting deep ocean of the creative mind together with David Seeger. Hi, David. Hi. Last part, we um, talked about uh, his time in Leeds as a teacher for. 25 years and uh, I must say he has uh, a lot of knowledge that's it's incredible so guys listen to it it's really very informative I hope that we can continue our talk here outside in my garden because uh, the farmer was working with his tractor and uh, it's still his break it's What is it? Half, half one or something like this, and I, and I hope he he will stay away for more than half hour or an hour, or whatever you know. Fingers crossed. All right, David. Hello. We gonna stop. I already mentioned there. So yeah, I mean, your time in Leeds. Did you enjoy the art college? I mean, is it? It was probably very much different than 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 nowadays. Uh, studying art, isn't it? Well, it, it, it was unique. It was the only college in Europe that was, bar the Bauhaus, that was actually based not on a, an academic uh, classical structure. Who was teaching the Bauhaus things? You? Uh, well, the teachers who were informative of what we did were people, they were architects, Gropius and... Uh, Mies van der Rohe and Corbusier. And they came? They came and... and no, no, no. But we were introduced to them by... That was one of the beautiful things that happened. There was on the School of Architecture course at the same college was um, a mature student called David Lewis, who was the biographer of Brancusi. But he was highly knowledgeable yeah. in modern art. He was a very close friend of Barbara Hepworth many artists in Cornwall. He'd lived in Cornwall for quite a long time. People like Terry Frost. I've heard it's beautiful there. I mean, a Roger, lot... Roger Hilton, the, the, the up-and-coming moderns. Remember, this was 1955. Yeah. You know, these people were just at their beginnings. Absolutely. Terry Frost was local to us. He did teach us. He was um, Gregory Fellow at Leeds University. Yeah. So he had his colour theory first hand. 
but David Lewis was extremely instrumental in our education. He had at his disposal 35mm slides that were just beginning to be available, Kodak and... Uh, so, so, it, so it was supported by... by, uh, by Agfa were producing this fabulous colour film. Yeah. Uh, so slides could be projected in full colour. He had the whole armoury of photos he'd taken of European art, yeah. which he shared with us. He'd met many of them. He told us about Brancusi. He met him and knew him before he died. So we had the, that first hand. It was the best modern sculptures the yeah. world has, has ever had. Um, the Bauhaus teachers, people like Joseph Albers, Paul Clay, all put theoretical uh, ideas about educating artists. Um, Albers went on to America and opened his own art school. Uh, uh, Paul Clay is renowned for his uh, studies and um, uh, theoretical work as, as well as his um, performance in his own work. Yeah. Um, and the, one of the things, our, our new head of department, Harry Thubram, All right. who brought this together as a course, which he called the basic course, which began, as I say, with this point in line kind of thing. But yeah. he, in fact, was not a um, an abstract artist in that classical, or not classical, but um, fundamental abstract sense. He was far more of a Zen performer and he made a, a much more intuitive um, formulation of, of very sticky wet canvases that explored colour and yeah. uh, simplicity but with the material more than with the uh, the actual illusion. A lot of things were explored in this time and discovered. Well, that was, we were right. I mean, there was a lot going on in America. We heard about that. People like San Francisco and Pollock. Yeah. Uh, all that was going on simultaneously. It was on the grapevine. I mean, I'm getting frustrated if, if I see all that what happens in the 60s, you know, because yeah. nowadays... Well, this was 50s. Fifth, before 50s. the 60s. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which is weird. It, it did blossom out. The basic course became written down in a book and everybody took it as a recipe. It was never yeah. a recipe. Yeah. It was no, never sure, intended sure, in sure, that kind sure, of thing. Sure. Um, so we... we uh, initially, I went, as I say, as a pencil drawer with a probably a, a prospect of having a career in the graphics or advertising world or illustration yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Um, and the obligatory teacher training year and I'd end up with some kind of art teacher. Now, it all changed with this uh, new course that came in and I ended up going to an evening class for pottery. All right. And ended up becoming the, um, I managed the ceramics studio and ceramics not as a pottery craft. Yeah. I mean, it was a craft. We did all the craft uh, skills, but it was another way of making fine art. It, it, the, the material sure, was, sure. The, 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 it gave an, uh, an extra loop to follow for the fine artist. Uh, and I became one of them. 
and I ended up and making you, you stick to work it. That, that, you know, I, I can claim some originality. I did a great deal of casting and uh, making things in moulds, taking facsimiles of objects yeah. by throwing plaster on them. And I had some very remarkable stitches. I mean, uh, clay. Students. Clay is, 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 is great, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, clay and plaster and any other material that you put with it. You don't necessarily have to stick to the one material. Sure. Um, but with my students, one of whom became a very well-known potter, Carl McNichol, right. who Sowell's worked. Right. Uh, uh, she's got started selling teapots to Japan. Uh, had a big exhibition. She's extremely well known. Wow, 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 um, wow, wow, wow. Well looking at the world. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. Um, Didn't you fancy in this time then, then uh, quitting your job as a teacher and, and doing more for yourself? I mean, I didn't do that till I left in 1988. I always made work. Um, that was one of the beauties of that school was that the teachers were employed as artists and they were given time to do their own work. Uh, in a five-day yeah. week, we had a whole day about doing our own work, either on the I premises mean, if, or own I work. think if you're once in the middle, you're, you're in the middle, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, uh, life changed completely and, and you, you're part of the, the institutions. And uh, I mean, which is secure, you get your money. I always saw my role as the uh, the cheerleader, the ringmaster. I didn't, it was their art, it was their work. It, it was my job to kind of steer them towards making it in a better way, giving more, um, digesting what they were doing better. That's that's what good uh, teachers are know, doing, isn't refining it? Refining yeah. and asking questions and being able to stand back from something uh, and not get too bound up with it so that you can see it from a distance. Um, as I say, and, and, and the end product isn't an artist. The end product is a creative mind that might go into a different expression entirely. One of the remarkable ones that very few people know about was a man called Philip Orchard. He made teapots with me and he made really very clever teapots. Yeah. But um, he was interested in theatre, uh, props, and he, he, he liked acting. He was uh, very, very kind of enthusiastic. He was... And he was well, English, probably, wasn't he? He he was English. He was very gifted. He went to a gifted uh, sixth form college in Birmingham, um, and we took him direct onto the course. He didn't do a pre-diploma course. He came straight to us. But the proof was in the pudding. When he left, he he got a job behind the the scenes in the theatre at the Leeds Playhouse. Um, and very soon became very skilled at making props. He was a master of yeah. polystyrene and chainsaws. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ended up with his own company, 
making props right. for the Olympic Games okay. opening ceremonies, all okay. of them apart from Be uh, Beijing. Now, he was able to make, he made castles for sheikhs in the desert out oh, of polystyrene, yeah. painted up as oh, the wow. facsimile of the real wow. thing. Can, 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 he can... made a model of the Eurostar train before the Eurostar train existed. I might put a link in, into yeah. it as well. So we have to think about that because I would love to see this, this work as well. Well, there's very little I can show him. I've just bought the DVD of the opening ceremony of the English um, Olympic Games where he did all these big... Uh, with Danny Boyle doing these, uh, um, you know, this amazing kind of installations of the uh, National Health Service yeah, and yeah. Telford and um, the whole the whole illusion of uh, British creative history that was put on the stage in a massive arena. Wow, wow, yeah, I can't and imagine. Philip that. did that. His little company produced that, and he'd done it for all the others. Remarkable opening ceremonies never, never, never existed. Yeah. Wow, wow. I he mean, never got the credit for the poor man died. He had a bad lung condition when he was with us. I re met up with him again about five years ago when he was on the list, and he'd had been for at least ten years for a lung transplant. All right. And eventually got it. Mm. Um. Uh, and then some, it was all very successful, and then six months or so afterwards he had to have a checkup and some minor adjustment, and he had a hemorrhage, and it finished him out. Mid-50s, a very young man, but um, he made his mark. Uh, yeah, I mean, a great I mean, privilege of mine to have had. It is a, a very in. exhausting job as well, if, if you have this responsibility, isn't it? I mean, you probably... 15 hours a day looking and checking and everything. I've no idea of that at all. I've no idea of his, his actual... That is the I mean, that's, that's, that's time is money for them. behind yeah? the scenes. He had an, a remarkable team. Yeah. He wasn't a one-man band. He, yeah. he had a, a company who produced these things. Yeah. But... Um, so, uh, so you saw many, many... From your students going and and uh, becoming a proper artist, uh, which is very difficult in the well, art world. Well, there aren't many of them, it? but there are there are other people like Mark Armand was one of my students who did ceramics, Do and he ended up being a very well-known pop star. Uh, Mark Armand, yeah, I know, still know him. Uh, this Mark Armand from what is the band again? Uh, Soft Cell. Yeah, Tainted Love. Right. Two of them. Yeah. Tainted Love. That's yeah, it. absolutely. It wasn't his song, actually, that one. Yeah. He sang it Do you? somebody else's song. But uh, uh, uh. Yeah. <laughs> he's still at it. He's theatrical. He does acting and all sorts, can't he? I, I, he doesn't respond to uh, my little attempt to get near him again. But uh, <laughs> Do you think, do you think that, do you think that, that it was easier to making income as artists in the 50s, 60s than nowadays? There's no answer to that question. Yeah. I can't answer that. I mean, I've, I've had the privilege of being given to start with a part-time job that paid me, I think I got something like 
three days part-time teaching and it was very lucrative. It was a really good income. Uh, maybe a hundred quid a week. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I the don't, equivalent I... nowadays of maybe four hundred, something like that. I just wonder. I mean, it generally because, I mean, the population A is is far more bigger nowadays as well, and uh, and I, I wonder if 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 it's already oversaturated somehow, you know. The only people who make a living in the arts are the administrators. Yeah, that's what you know, I mean. The, the, that's uh, what I mean. There are a few who sell work, but yeah. most of yeah. most so, of the art world so is is uh, financed for the administrators. Yeah. We build buildings for the administrators, not for the artists. No. So, what do you think? What's what? What is the role of an artist? The the artist dreams for the for his community yeah. and it might be a big community it might be just a little one it might be his family yeah her family yeah i mean but you know it, yeah. it, 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 there's, there is no recipe there never i was. know i know i think that's that's the best there case is, scenario there is a tradition of famous artists people like damien hurst who's a travesty uh, even warhol Is somebody I don't rate particularly highly. It's an industry. It's uh, um, and yeah. even Henry Moore. Um, I could talk about him quite a lot, but yeah. Henry Moore um, ended up his, his best work was his hand carved stone yeah. between the third 1930-1940, which was real. It was him. Uh, after that, he became a modeler, and he had students making his work. Yeah. Um, the really genuine Henry Moores were the little models, the the best reclining figure he made. Yeah. It's about eleven inches. Okay. Uh, yeah. Solid bronze. Um, it's the most immaculate object. Yeah. Which takes. <coughs> I mean, back to a little story if we've time. If we have, we, we're gonna probably do I it am, another time for sure. I'm, I see you. Well, yes, Put it on the record now, you can fit it in where you feel like. But I, um, <laughs> I was um, way back in the early 60s, mid 60s, would say. Um, my first wife's mother was uh, worked in an antique shop, and she was on the grapevine for the antiques. Uh, for instance, she sold uh, Crown Derby plates to the the big fairground that came to Leeds, adjacent to where her shop was on Woodhouse Moor. Okay. And these people, they had a lot of wealth but no space, so they, they ate off four hundred pounds. Crown Derby plate for their dinner. Yeah. But anyway, um, she knew these people who had a collection of glasses. And in in England, there was something called an old ale glass, which was a, a very simple conical glass yeah. that held about a quarter of a pint on a 
on a stem, which was a, a little globe, and then the dish, so that this cone globe circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, as common as jam jars, way back hundred years ago. Oh, yeah. These people had a collection, so we we engineered a, a trip to their house to see this collection. Yeah. The the point was that when people had a drink with one of those glasses, they drank it off and threw the glasses no into way. the fireplace. No. Now, by 1960, yeah. the only old glasses in the world yeah. were in their collection. There were 150 left. <laughs> And they had them all. So we went to this house. All right. The point of the story is not glossy. Yeah. On the mantelpiece was yeah. this little silver sculpture of Atlas. Yeah. Solid silver. Okay. Atlas with the world on his shoulder. Mm. It was about 11 inches high, mm. maybe less, 9 inches yeah. high. And I kept looking at this. And I re he caught my eye. And I give myself credit for noticing it. Right. But I could see these this man and his wife looking at each other. Um, shall we tell him? And he eventually nodded his head. And she said, would you like to hold it? Yeah. And she gave me this probably four pounds of silver, solid silver. Yeah. <coughs> She said, "You, you, you know, you're very good. We don't tell people what it, that is. Yeah, it was Benvenuto Cellini original. All right, it was the real thing. It was yeah. uninsurable. Nobody knew they had it. <laughs> it was, it disappeared." Yeah. I, where they got it from or how, I was more or less sworn into secrecy. Uh, and that's why I'm not telling you their name. <laughs> no, don't do it, please. I mean, this uh, was one of the most extraordinary pieces of art I've ever seen. Wow. And that man carried the world on his shoulders. So did you, did, you, did you ever wash your fingers after that? Oh, yes, now in well, your corona. Well, it wasn't thing. that. <laughs> it was just the fact that this man had modeled this. Yeah. And it didn't have to be you know, kind of um, enormous. Yeah. You know, it no, wasn't I mean, a Damien I, Hirst. I, I, I think it was nine inches high. Yeah. As with the the Venus of Valindorf, everybody thinks that's a gigantic sculpture. Yeah. Four inches high yeah. is the Venus of Valindorf. I think you really you can you can feel that spirit if it you have it in your hand. Personal. It? Yeah, absolutely. David, I thank you very much for this story. I would say for today we leave it we are already over 20 minutes and uh, the attention span of listeners is about 18 minutes okay so it was great thank you for having me here my pleasure Very good. bye bye and bye my lovely audience ciao this is a listener supported show i feel honored if you subscribe this show You can follow me non-financial with the following click on one of my Instagram accounts or subscribe to the visual version of this podcast on YouTube via the link below.
If you like what you hear, be sure to tune in this Sunday for the third part of this Attitude Audio Triptych. If you want to leave a donation for a coffee or a bus ticket, just follow the donation link via the Attitude Podcast account. Eventually, I would like to thank, through this medium, all my members and listeners of the I Love West Cork Artists Network from all over the world. Just to remember myself that without you, this year couldn't and wouldn't happen. You have listened to Artitude, West Cork's first art, fashion and design podcast. Artitude, never so close again. Ah. That was too close.